Welcome back to Scripps Talks. Today we have Hannah Yang joining us. She's a 2014 graduate of the School of Journalism and works for Minnesota Public Radio now. Hannah, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. What's it been like for you out in uh, Minnesota covering the story? I know you're in a, a sort of a southern part of Minnesota, but there's been quite a bit of COVID-19 there. So tell us what you've been covering. I am currently based in southwest Minnesota. And out here, just to kind of give you a little background, it's a mostly ag-centered industry out here, mostly farmland, a lot of manufacturing jobs, and a lot of work with animal production. COVID-19 has been, as many other parts of the country, it's been pretty much on the forefront of everyone's minds right now. Yesterday, we found out that there were two positive cases in the county that I live in. It's a rapidly changing landscape right now. I've been working on several stories where we're tackling different aspects of COVID and how it impacts daily life out here. I did a story yesterday where we were tracking what part of the state has the high rate of positive cases, and it's not within the Twin City metro area. It's actually within the southern Minnesota county that I cover for NPR, and it's actually quite telling. Sources don't really know how or why um, this county has so many cases or this high concentration of cases, other than the fact is that this virus had probably been in the community for quite some time before county health departments have been addressing it, the Minnesota Department of Health has been addressing it. And so there's been this real fear of community transmission. Right now, Minnesota is undergoing a shelter-in-place, which I would assume over in Ohio, they're kind of experiencing a similar scenario, I would imagine. We're all being asked to stay put except for food shopping and the most essential of trips. We have daily briefings from the governor, and he's become quite the hit uh, with the way he's taken, kind of taken a lead on public safety and, and public health. Yeah, I actually happened to see all the various national media outlets even uh, really praising Governor DeWine's response to the pandemic and the way he's been handling um, press conferences. It's uh, it's actually quite amazing to see how Ohio is being framed as the national leader and how we respond to a you know a health crisis like this. It's really interesting to see kind of from you know out of state to see our to see my home state represented in that way. You've also faced some challenges covering the news uh, about COVID-19 with respect to your Asian heritage. Can you can you share a little bit with us what kind of challenges that has presented to you? So I am of Korean descent. And so it's interesting to kind of trying to, I guess, like navigate this landscape right now as an Asian American journalist mostly pertaining to the rise in anti-Asian American sentiment that's being spread through the rhetoric that's been shared through the mouths of our public officials, different pundits, I guess like other platforms. I'm noticing that health officials have adamantly said over and over again not to label the coronavirus as a Chinese virus, a Wuhan virus, you know, anything that would designate a race or a group of people or a location as part of the name, as it might increase the amount of hate and discrimination and bigotry against already marginalized communities. I'm currently working in a predominantly white community, 
And um, recently, I was at the grocery store where I experienced a moment where some of the individuals at a grocery store had um, made some bigoted remarks towards me. Knowing that it was more than likely that others have had experienced acts of discrimination against them because of the fears that are being fueled right now because of COVID-19, I wrote an essay about it as well as um, did a story with my colleague over at NPR in covering the rising number of reports from fellow Asian Americans in Minnesota who have also experienced microaggressions or even flat-out racism in public spaces. While doing that, it really made me aware of sort of the challenges that I will be continuing to face during the coverage of COVID-19, mostly pertaining to my safety. It's something that I never really thought of before. Usually go out to assignments on my own, mostly because I do work remotely. I run a bureau in southwest Minnesota on my own. I don't have other coworkers. They're all, you know, we're a part of a regional team, but we're all based in different areas in the state. And so for me, um, the closest coworker could be two to three hours away from me. When I go out to assignments on my own, I have to be pretty aware of my surroundings. It's a little disconcerting hearing about all these different reports that are kind of coming out from all over the country of Asian Americans coming forward and sharing their experiences. Recently, there was a stabbing in Midland, Texas, and it involved children who got stabbed because of individuals who believed that Asian Americans were to be blamed for the spread of COVID-19. Covering incidents like that has really been on the back of my mind as to, you know, making sure that I keep myself safe while covering different assignments. Granted, most of the time nowadays we're locked in place at our homes. Our governor, Governor Tim Walz, had listed us as essential workers, so we are able to move about to do our work and to cover different events and press conferences. But for me, just having that additional layer of being an Asian American journalist while covering a pandemic that is fueling anti-Asian sentiment, it is a bit tiresome and it is exhausting and it is one of those things that, you know, you can't stop thinking about. It does pose an additional challenge that I don't think a lot of my colleagues would necessarily encounter on a day-to-day basis, but with COVID-19, it's kind of been on the forefront of my mind as of now. What kind of support system do you feel like you have around you as far as colleagues? I mean, what are you doing to bring support to you, to shore you up, to kind of help you during this time? That's an interesting question. NPR has been very progressive, in my opinion, in terms of really trying to ensure that all of their colleagues and all their journalists have a support system. And they have been very intentional about um, going out into communities that have been underrepresented, undercovered in traditional mainstream news. One of those initiatives was to really make sure that all colleagues, all journalists of color in their company feel supported. I know that several of my coworkers have been trying to put together a committee to help with retention and offering resources for journalists of color in the newsroom, making sure that you know, they all feel safe and free to be able to express themselves in a way that, you know, they don't feel like they have to necessarily, you know, 
tiptoe around certain sensitive topics. Um, you know, my colleagues have been very supportive of my journey throughout this whole coverage. A lot of my fellow colleagues are members of the Asian American Journalists Association. So when I first put out my essay about my experiences with anti-Asian sentiments during COVID, they've actually been really vocally supportive. And I think that's something that we don't really necessarily talk about enough in a lot of newsrooms is making sure that, you know, when one of your colleagues who puts out an experience that personal out there, that they are ready to go to bat for you, that they're ready to jump in when it's necessary to make sure that you're safe, that, you know, your emotional well-being is also taken care of. I've been seeing a lot of outpouring support from uh, different chapters of AJA throughout the country when they started sharing my experiences and my essay through social media. And I think in a lot of sense, the places that I've worked at prior to that, I would say there's like a comfortable level of support that they would be willing to give. But for the most part, I've worked at mostly predominantly white newsrooms where you know, I would actually be the only journalist of color in those situations. And so being able to openly talk about microaggressions, instances where you feel that maybe a source or an interview has crossed the line and, and your leadership may not necessarily see that is something that I think needs to be talked about a little bit more is that, you know, making sure that your journalists feel supported through that time and, you know, having leadership and, you know, of a diverse leadership, in fact, I have, now I have multiple editors who are of different racial backgrounds, and it has been very refreshing to have different perspectives brought to the table where they know and can empathize with some of the experiences that I've had out on the field. So in that case, just having people who have had similar experiences be able to walk you through this and be able to help you navigate this landscape has been truly a blessing. When I was at OU, I, you know, I've had great experiences with a lot of those student organizations that I've been a part of, but to be honest, I didn't really have that much of a, I didn't really have that much of a diverse leadership either in student organizations either, and I think I've had one experience where, you know, a fellow editor had told me after I was upset after a phone call because a source that I interviewed had, I felt cross a certain boundary in terms of asking me personal questions about my racial identity during an interview that had nothing to do with it and made a off-color remark towards me. My editor at the time did not stand up for me, even though I spoke up about it, and instead he dismissed my experience and told me that I needed to stop pulling the race card, which was something that has really stuck with me for a very long time in feeling like I guess I wish that more students now would be educating themselves on how to diversify their newsrooms as well as taking the incentive of of creating, taking that initiative of really working towards educating themselves about the nuances of race, um, reporting on race, as well as supporting their colleagues of color because, you know, that was something I felt like maybe could have gone a lot better during my experiences at OU, but, you know, just working out in the profession, out in the field, it is very comforting to know that I have that sort of support system now that I didn't have in the past.
we've added the gender racing class course to our core, starting with the the incoming class this year, which I certainly would hope would have helped that student understand better how to respond to you. Yeah, no, and I'm very glad to hear that you guys are really taking that initiative and really trying to integrate more of those difficult conversations into education because these are our next generation of journalists that are coming out of scripts and I really wish I had that course back in the day um, when I was there that way you know because this would have been really helpful for me and other colleagues to be really thinking about how we could be changing the different newsrooms and you know and really trying to move our profession forward. Well, I don't know if you've uh, you've heard the news that um, our colleague um, Edith Fischel will be the next director, and I think that's a very strong statement. This is a person with great experience and a lot to bring to the table. Also, the first non-male director of the School of Journalism, and certainly the first African American, you know, director of the School of Journalism as well. Yeah, when I heard Dr. DeShiel was going to be the next director of Scripps. I was elated. I had her for com law when I was a student at OU. You know, she's tough, but she's also very fair in the way she handles various subjects as well as in the way she interacts with her students. Most of us know Dr. D as, you know, our um, professor who loves to wear purple, and my last few interactions with her have been nothing but positive. And I can see her doing great things for a script in shaping our next generation of journalists. And I'm very excited for her um, as she takes over this role and really making some positive strides. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's just very heartwarming to think about thinking that we're at a point where we're, at, we're seeing leadership sort of starting to reflect the students and the communities that we're supposed to be covering. I uh, really appreciate, Hannah, you taking some time to share your experiences. I, I, they seem very challenging and difficult. Uh, it sounds like you are still able to be very productive in this time, but we definitely want to uh, to let you know we're thinking about you and supporting you however we can. And, you know, thank you so much for reaching out. You know, I really appreciate being able to tell, you know, our my fellow scripters about what's happening out in the field. I definitely miss Athens. I haven't been there in a while and hope to come back some sometime soon in the future. So, yeah, we'll get through this. Thank you very much, and uh, do take good care of yourself. Oh, you too, Dr. Stewart. Hannah Yang from Southwest Minnesota joining us from Minnesota Public Radio. Thank you very much.